Four-year-old Danny was, was absolutely fascinated with a dead fish floating in the river. And after studying this dead fish for nearly four hours, he finally asked his mother, will the fish go to heaven? Well, mom, knowing that she was out of her theological league, said, well, we'll ask Pastor Dave when we get to church. And then Danny said, does he know lots about fish? That's the joke. Um, (laughs) We'll ask Pastor Scott about the jokes he picks to start his sermons. Anyway. Does he know lots about fish? I, I, I love that. You know, do I, do I know lots about fish? Um, I'm not a fisherman, but as a pastor and a Bible teacher, I better know something about the images of fish and fishing in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have near the beginning of the Gospel to call the disciples where he says to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And then, um, uh, and so they leave their fishing nets and they follow him and go fishing for people. God's mission to find and save people he loves is established as a powerful image early on. And then fish also is a symbol of provision and sustenance. All four gospels include the the feeding of the 5,000. To know the New Testament, to know the mission of God that becomes our mission, we need to know something about fish and helping them to get into heaven. Here in John's final chapter is this image of fish, fishing, God's abundant provision, all come together around this commission from Jesus, which helps answer a common question about John's gospel. Why is chapter 21 even here? It's a good question because everything really, last week we wrapped it all up. Remember how I was up here, I was getting all excited, which I rarely do when I preach. But I was getting all excited about how everything comes together in chapter 20, the resurrection and and the disciples in the upper room and and Thomas doubting and then believing in it. And then the purpose statement finally, and this was all written because of this, the end. And then there's this, oh, by the way, here's chapter 21. It's led to some great questions over the year. People asking, is this just an appendix that was attached on? Was it, was it added many years later? Was it written somebody, by somebody besides John? Um, which um, it's very clearly uh, from John's hand, the way it's written. But the fact that it's always been connected in the earliest manuscripts going all the way back always have this chapter there at the end of John. The language is very Johnish, or as we say in theological circles, Johannine. But I kind of like it's sort of Johnish language. Like the part at the end, very end there where it says this is the third time that he'd appeared and he just accounted for the other two times in chapter 20. But more importantly for chapter 20 than one, there is a purpose. This is John's version, in a sense, of the Great Commission. This is John's version of the Great Commission, the mission of the church. It's couched in the symbolism of this fishing here in these first 14 verses. And then it's couched in the symbolism of the care for sheep that we'll see in the final verses two weeks from today. So really, rather than an appendix or something attached on later, it's more like an epilogue, if you will. An epilogue sort of rounds out the conclusion. The, the, the epilogue sort of helps us move forward. An epilogue uh, kind of takes what's happened before and applies it to going forward. And in this case, John is taking the conclusion and purpose of chapter 20, that believe and have life, and he's taking it to the church and its responsibility in the world. In a sense, John is saying, okay, here we go with the message and the purpose. At least that's what I think. So that's we're going to try. We're going to give it a try, okay? So, so serving as an epilogue, John 21 takes the gospel's powerful purpose in John 20 and turns it towards the mission of the church in the world. The fishing miracle followed by breakfast symbolizes this commissioning from Jesus in verses 1 through 14. Two weeks from today, we'll look at the care for the sheep in the final verses and wrap up this series. But today, we look at this commissioning from God symbolized in 
the miracle of the fish. Peter and his disciples said, let's look at them, and a lot of this comes through the eyes of Peter. Peter and the disciples, first of all, are powerless, and they've gone back to work. They don't know what else to do, and they're just trying to, trying to fish. But then as soon as this miracle comes, they are empowered by this amazing catch. And then finally, they come to beach where they are fed by Jesus, breakfast on the beach. And then finally, we're going to draw some conclusions about what it means to us to be sent, to be sent as a healthy and missional and well-fed church. It's been crazy for these guys. It's been a veritable um, vortex, if you will, of emotions. Vortex, a whole new word in our vocabulary this year, I realize, sorry. But uh, it's been a vortex of emotions and experiences these last couple of weeks for the disciples, from the very high to the very low. All that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, they're actually seeing the risen Jesus, but he comes and he goes, he's gone for now, and so they don't know what to do right now. Jesus has shown up a couple times, doesn't reappear, so they go back to Galilee. So meanwhile, back in Galilee. And here they are, they're sort of sorting through everything. These days we would call it, they're, they're, they're processing. The disciples are processing a lot of their emotions right now. It's been rather overwhelming, and it would be reasonable to assume that they're overwhelmed and not even sure what to do next, so they go with what's familiar. They decide to go fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and the six, six others that are listed say, we're going to come with. And here's something they know, something they understand, something they feel comfortable with. Plus, it's, a, it's their livelihood, and it's been on hiatus for a few years as they follow Jesus. So it sounds like a good idea, except when they do it, it's a fail. It's a fishing failure that happens. They fished all night, which was common to fish in the night, and they caught nothing. Morning comes, and there's a stranger on the shore who hollers out to them, Did you catch anything? Well, actually, the scripture says, Friends, haven't you any fish? And the answer is a simple two-letter, no. When I was a youth pastor in Kansas City, we had a wonderful yearly tradition. Do they still do the canoe trip at community? I think they've been doing it. Mark was one of my youth group kids, Cody Larson, and Grace's dad. And we used to do this awesome canoe trip. Highlight of the summer, wasn't it? And we would go down to the southernmost Ozarks with about 30, 40 kids, and we would canoe for a couple days on the river and, uh, and have a blast falling in the water and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but I remember there was always some locals along the way, too, who were fishing. I can remember one day when we were paddling down the river, and we called out to some locals, did you catch anything? And I remember this guy going, just a nasty sunburn. And I always, I always think of that, you know, did you catch anything? Well, no, just kind of a nasty sunburn. But Jesus doesn't even say that. He just says, they just say to Jesus, no. We haven't caught a thing. Now, I might be reading in just a little bit here, but I think it's safe to say in light of what's coming that the disciples were powerless at this point. They were doing what they usually do. They were doing everything that they usually did to fish, and yet they were getting nothing. Did you catch anything? These are professional fishermen. Did you catch anything? No. They're powerless at this point, but they're about to be empowered by this amazing catch that comes. It's Jesus, of course, who suggests a new strategy, and it has this miraculous result. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And I can think, I can imagine these guys going, oh, like, that's going to be a really different place. Like, oh, you mean like 10 feet away from where we've just been fishing? But they didn't say that. They do it anyway, and it's huge. So many fish that they couldn't even haul the net in. And John recognizes that it is Jesus who has offered this new strategy because um, um, he, whether he got a better, just got a better look at Jesus or because uh, of, of the miraculous result, this was a very Jesus thing to do to John. And so he recognized that it was Jesus. I love it how it's John who's pretty smart who draws the conclusion, but it's Peter who's, John's pretty smart, Peter's pretty impulsive. John draws a conclusion, Peter who's pretty impulsive and action-oriented who can't wait for the boat to get to shore. Peter jumps in the water to swim to the shore faster than the boat can get there. Did you catch that? 
he gets in the water to get to Jesus as fast as possible. Of course, the boat's bogged down by this heavy net. And when he finally gets to the shore, Peter jumps back on to help drag the fish back to shore. This big catch, this valuable catch, this miraculous catch. And how many fish was it? I've always been intrigued by this precise number. It was exactly 153 fish. What's with 153? Which is what Bible scholars have been asking for 2,000 years and have come up with explanations you would not believe. (laughs) And I don't have time to go on into all of them. One said that at that time in history, they believed there was 153 species of fish, so it represented all the people in the world. That's fair, but odd. Uh, Numerologists, oh my gosh, you put those numbers to somebody that says letters stand for numbers, you get all kinds of crazy stuff going on in there. Symbolic numbers, sequences. But probably the best way to interpret it is that it was simply a detail to add to the historical truth of the event. In a sense, John is saying, this really happened. We counted them. There was 153. Not 152. Not 154. There's 153. Overall, something like this is a great abundance as a sign of God's favor, a sign of God's abundance and blessing. It was huge, like the, the wine at Cana, those six water pots full of like garbage can size. They didn't need that much wine. It was a symbol of, of overabundance. Or all the fish and bread that was left over after the feeding of the 5,000. Again, it's a sign of God's abundance. We know that John is always pointing to something even deeper, though. So connected to those and other images of fish, we see more as well. The fish are those whom Jesus loves. The fish are those whom Jesus died for. Those who he is calling to be his disciples. I really believe that this great catch of fish is a symbol of those that the church, the disciples, are to reach. That we're to reach with a good news, a belief that just all got wrapped up at the end of chapter 20. Now, go fishing. Take this purpose and this truth, this life-giving truth, and go fishing. I also love the way this comes through, that the disciples, the church, that we are to also be co-workers with Jesus. See, Jesus worked the miracle but it required the participation and the obedience of the disciples. Do you see that? I pulled a quote from Gary Burge's commentary where he says this, The miraculous catch of fish no doubt is symbol as well as surprise. Jesus is still the disciples' champion, aiding them in the struggle of their labors. But more, he wants to direct their work, and with his help, they will find catches beyond their wildest belief. This symbolism can be applied to the church and its work. As Jesus worked through the direction of the Father, so too the disciples must work at the word of Jesus. He is a co-worker, and with him, success is assured. I love that image of partnership with Jesus. The work of the church is a partnership with God. The work of prayer is a partnership with God. As soon as we ask that question, can't God just do it whether I ask him or not? God says, no, your requesting and your interacting with me is part of how this gets done. Prayer is a partnership, and the work of the church is a partnership as well. We are co-workers with Jesus. In fact, right now, our, our Board of Spiritual Life, the leaders of our church, we just met last Monday, and Pastor Diane and I are, are introducing the whole concept of spiritual discernment. We've always prayed about decisions we make. We always want what God wants for our church. But we're, we're taking that a little bit deeper, of learning as individuals to really listen to God's leading in our life and to bring that as a corporate discipline as a church as we really discern what God is doing. And so we work with God. We, we set the plans, we set agendas, and yet we invite the Spirit to lead and to speak into it. We are co-workers with God. And I'm excited about our future as a church as we take this to a deeper level 
as our leadership. And by the way, even though Diane and I are teaching it, I sense that our leaders are fully sold out and and invested in this as we move forward. We're co-workers. We're empowered by God. And so these empowered disciples, back to the story, are also fed. They are fed. Not in that general, I went to church today and did or didn't get fed. Not that kind of fed. They get breakfast. They're fed breakfast. I've always loved this story, this image, this inviting, hospitable Jesus that's there on the beach. He's coming and he's welcoming there. This this is the risen, the healed, glorified Jesus, and yet he has not ascended to the Father yet. But here he is, serving again. Just like when he washed the feet, he's there serving. He's preparing breakfast for his friends. He's serving fish. There's plenty. There's at least 153. And there's uh, bread on this charcoal fire. And apparently that was a typical breakfast then, fish and bread. But this breakfast has a very special host, obviously. There is the personal presence of the host, Jesus himself. The story is warm and engaging because of the person of Jesus. Jesus is the very center of this mission to which we are called. And here he is inviting, serving, and we assume that as they have breakfast, they're also involved in some deep and meaningful conversation. Some encouraging conversation about what they are now being called to do. And so they are not only literally being fed, but they are feeding on this relationship. They are feeding on the real living presence of Jesus. And while we do not have this physical and visual reality, we do have the real presence of Christ with us as well. We have celebrated the real presence today in baptism. The sacraments celebrate the presence of Christ at the table and at the font. We celebrate the real presence of Christ. We know the presence of Christ as we draw near to him in prayer, not only as we speak to him, but as we silence ourselves and listen. We know the presence of Christ when we read the words of Scripture and they come alive to us and we feel that he's not only just saying these things that somebody wrote down 2,000 years ago, but he's speaking to us. We know the presence of Christ when we slow the pace down and in silence and solitude, we just listen. We know the presence of Christ when we gather in fellowship. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. We know it in times of celebrating together. We know it in times of grieving together. Mike, as you travel this grief journey now and other people gather around you and your church family gathers around you, you know the presence of Christ. That's how we know the presence of Christ. When we celebrate together and when we grieve together. It's a personal presence of Jesus. And so this points us then to whatever we need to do to stay connected to Jesus. Staying connected. Megan and I are headed out on vacation this afternoon. And we will be gone for 10 days. We're taking one of those pastor's vacations where you take 10 days but only one Sunday. So we're, we're leaving today. And we're headed up to the Upper Peninsula for about a week. Uh, and then we're going over to Nebraska by next weekend. We'll be worshiping in our daughter's church. Uh, my daughter will be preaching. We will be fed by my daughter. And we're celebrating the first big birthday of these guys. So there. So just always find a way to get the grandkid picture in there. But anyway, um, so we're going to connect with them. One of our goals, actually, as we go on vacation is to actually to disconnect a little bit. We need to disconnect a little bit from the fast pace that we have been in. We need to disconnect from the the daily tasks that we have and that draw our attention all the time. We're going to try to disconnect a little bit even from things like this, you know, screens and phones and things. We're getting a little too connected to them sometimes. But also one of our goals is to be a little better connected, We hope to be a little better connected to each other during this time away and 
hope to do some things that help us draw more, get more connected to Jesus as well. We're going to be intentional about that. Spiritual practices help us stay connected to Jesus. I'm learning a lot from Pastor Diana, and she's, she's taught about this, this daily habit of thanking God. We all know we're supposed to say thanks to God, right? But when you make thanking God a habit every day, you learn to be looking for it more and more often. Isn't that great? So if you make a practice of every day writing down something you're thankful for, it helps you be attuned the next day to see where he's at work, and it helps us stay connected, things like that. Jesus has spoken often in this gospel about staying connected to him. Can you, which image is most vivid in John's gospel where Jesus says, stay this connected to me? It's in chapter 15. It rhymes with wine, only it's vine and branches, yeah? Think of that image. Staying connected to Jesus like a vine and branches, drawing life and drawing nourishment. Connected, remaining, abiding in me, says Jesus. We are fed in his presence. We are empowered in his presence. The disciples were fed literally by Jesus, and we are fed by Jesus on a daily basis as we stay connected. But finally here also, we are sent. We are sent out as a church with a mission in the world. Now, I put healthy missional church here, and it doesn't say that in the scriptures, but I, I, I see it here. A healthy church, a healthy church eating all of that, that fish that Jesus brought, rich in omega-3 fats and proteins. You've got to be a little careful with that bread. You know, bread was good for thousands of years, but now it's got all those pesky carbs and glutens in it. But uh, we can do it. No, I'm not talking about that kind of healthy, although the fish are healthy. When we speak of a healthy church, we talk about, first of all, healthy individuals. Healthy individuals who are connected, first of all, to Jesus. Healthy as in understanding what it means to be forgiven. Healthy as in understanding what it means to be reconciled to God. Healthy in the sense of taking care of some of the the personal business, of dealing with some of the inner hurts and conflicts that have been there through the growing up in life. Healthy in terms of learning dependence on God. Healthy in terms of learning humility and letting go of control and, and learning that God is there to provide and to lead. Healthy like that. That's the kind of healthy I'm talking about here. And then part of a community that is getting healthy in its pursuit of Christ as well. That's healthy. Missional means an understanding and accepting this call that Jesus gives, this commission, this being sent to fish, this being sent to to care, to love, and to introduce people to life in Jesus. That's a healthy missional church. And in this chapter, as it closes and as we'll wrap it up in a couple weeks, we see that in this journey, this journey towards health and, and mission, Peter is on the way. Peter's on the way. We'll get more when we wrap it up in a couple of weeks, but his healing and his restoration are coming along here. You see, as this chapter begins, he is still hurting over his denials of Jesus. He's still stinging over those final moments just before the resurrection, or before the crucifixion, excuse me, when he denied three times that he knew his Lord and he wept bitterly. And though that appearance in the upper room has encouraged him, Peter, I believe, is still sort of nursing this wound and wondering how much Jesus is really going to accept him. And as he returns to his fishing, he's wondering what to do. He's wondering, what is my purpose now? Will God ever be able to use me? Am I broken beyond repair? Poor, broken, impulsive me. Am I maybe just made for fishing after all? But Jesus not only appears this third time, but he abundantly blesses with this huge, miraculous catch and the gift of his presence. And with this, I believe Peter is on the way. He's on the way to emotional health, spiritual health, and is on his way to a profoundly missional life that we know about 
from the history of Peter. We'll get that when we talk about feeding the sheep. Peter's on the way to this health. Peter's on this way towards mission. And we are on the way also. The Christian life, discipleship, is really a, a, it's a journey. It's a process of learning and growing and getting healthy. And that's why we actually chose this term, on the way, this phrase to title our new series in the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and we see it simply as a study of Psalms, but it's more than that. You'll see some themes that come out of there, that the, the pilgrims, as they marched up towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, would sing these Psalms, and they reminded them of what was God was doing in their life. And so we're going to pick these discipleship themes out of there, and we're going to let it take us on this way as we grow as individuals and as we grow as a church. We are on our way, too, to being deeper disciples, on our way to being a more healthy, more missional church. There's signs of it all over the place. I'm hearing it from some of you, and I'm sensing it in our midst. There's, there's, a, there's a new spirit, of, uh, 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 I sense a new freshness and a joy. We're, we hear it here in worship and in other places as well. We've worked hard to, to deepen some of our mission commitments, and we've, we, we've celebrated with Windy City Project this year that we've moved to a new phase of, of, of deepening relationships and partnering in mission, not just taking our money and our skills and helping somebody that doesn't have those, but working together for God's purposes. We're, we're, we're changing there. We're getting more healthy and missional in our sense of mission. There's a growing interest in spiritual practices among our people, of learning spiritual discernment as I shared about our leaders. There's more engagement, more of a, more of a longing to know what God really wants us to do and more of a longing to, to hear his voice. I sense in some of our gatherings more of a, a growing openness and, and a transparency of really understanding the, the high, high value there is in humility, of more humility and less pride. Our small groups are beginning to show signs of re-engaging. Some of them are hunkering down and getting stronger. They're going deeper with each other and with the word. In fact, we're going to highlight small groups. Uh, actually, on the 14th, we're going to have a testimony and talk more about small groups at Naperville Covenant as a place to connect and be on the way and grow as disciples. I sense that God is, is doing some new things. We see God bringing some new families our, our, our visitor rate has, has upped in the last several weeks and we're finding people that are wanting to connect with a community that would be a safe and a good place for their children and also for them to grow. People are coming with their gifts and seeking to connect and make a difference. People aren't coming just to be entertained. We're also deepening a desire to establish a culture of prayer and deepening our dependence on God. We've seen it even in our stewardship ministry. Our, our giving fell and our, our budget had to drop back and yet we as leaders got concerned but we at the same time got excited and said, wow, God's getting our attention and we have this incredible stewardship team now that's meeting and not looking at fundraising but looking at what does it mean to be a good steward of what God has provided for us and so it's deepening our dependence. That's a healthy thing. That's a missional thing. I've never been so excited about dropping numbers in my life. God is deepening our desire about prayer as well. I'm excited that starting in two weeks from today, we're going to be able to provide for you a couple people that are available every Sunday to pray with you after church if you want to. We're starting with members of our Stephen ministry team. They're trained in, in prayer. They'll be available. You can pray with them up here or in the library. But if you have a prayer need or you know somebody that does, sometimes that's the best way to go, let's go pray with somebody. We're establishing a, a dependence on God and a culture of prayer. And I really believe in terms of this image of fishing that God wants to give us a new heart for our community as well. It's coming. It's coming. We're on the way. We're on the way to being a more healthy, 
more missional church. We are those things, but God has taken us to a deeper place. And so it's no time to be complacent, is it? It's time to get going as well. We've defined here over the last several years as we've talked about vitality that healthy means pursuing Christ and missional means pursuing Christ's priorities. Christ's priorities are fish. Those that need the love and the healing presence of God. First, God empowers us, invites us to partner with him, and then calls us to fish. It's our mission in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this imagery of fish in scripture. And whether we like to eat fish or not or go fishing or not, it doesn't matter. For you, Lord, it was this image of abundance. It was also an image, Lord, of need. And we resonate with this image of partnering with you. Thank you, Lord, for the way you are alive and at work in our church today. Thank you for signs of your spirit moving among us. Help us to be more and more open to what you're doing, to listen to what you're doing, to take us to those deeper places of a dependence on you, of a healthy dependence as we pursue you, Lord Jesus, and as we go to the world in need around us. We pray this in your name. Amen.